Hey, isn't it great that no matter where you go in the church of God, you come and you're among family, amen? And I just love that. All around the world, you know, you can walk into a church of people that love Jesus and you're among family. And I love coming here because you are our family and we just, we know a lot of people here anyway. But, um, you know, it's, we're not defined by the jobs we hold, are we? We're not defined by what we've done in the past or what we're doing in the present. We're defined by the fact that we have a, re- a relationship with God through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are family together. Amen. This church is on fire. In fact, I thought you really were on fire this morning because I was sitting there and I was smelling smoke, thinking oh, there's going to be a fire alarm here any minute. And I realized it was the good old Andre South African braai that was coming through the barbecue into the, into the house of God. Hallelujah. I wish we could have that every Sunday. Um, so that's good. So let's just bow our hearts for a minute and just, I just want to pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our Saviour and Redeemer, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to ask you a question this morning. Here's the question, and it's amazing because it's been confirmed in the prayer as guys were praying for me this morning and the things that um, Greg has just been saying. Here's the question. Do we have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church? Amen. Do we have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Now, you know where that verse comes from. In fact, it's more than one verse. It's many times it's mentioned in the Scripture. But if you go to Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, in the books or the letters that were being written to the seven churches, in every single one of those letters, Jesus poses a question through the Apostle John, and he says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Amen? Do you know Jesus' ministry was very similar? If you read the Gospels, he said that phrase over and over again. We read it in Matthew chapter 3, verse 9, Matthew chapter 11, verse 15, Mark chapter 4, verse 9, and over and over again, he said, He who has an ear, let him hear. And I want to ask you a question this morning. Are we as the church today listening to what the Spirit is wanting to say to the church. See, the interesting thing is when Jesus spoke through the Apostle John, he said, let the church listen to what the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus had gone to heaven, hadn't he? And he'd sent his Spirit, and he said, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit to you to teach you and to remind you of the things that I have said And he will lead you into all truth. He comes to convict the world, the Holy Spirit, of sin and of righteousness and of judgment to come, doesn't he? And Jesus says through the Apostle John, are you listening to my Holy Spirit? What about you? What about me? Here we are 2,000 years later. God is still saying the same thing. Are you listening to my Spirit? You know, it's very sobering because if you look at the book of Revelation, the first few chapters tells us that Jesus is writing this letter through the Apostle John to those seven churches in Asia Minor. So just give you the context or the picture here. So John, the old apostle, wonderful man of God. You know, he wrote First John, Second John, the epistles. He wrote, you know, the Gospel of John. He was a, a man of God. And here he is at the end of his life. And God 
speaks to him. He's been exiled to the island of Patmos. Now, that's a small island um, just in the Aegean Sea off the coast of Turkey, what we'd call Turkey today, but somewhere between Greece and Turkey right there. And the seven churches are on the mainland in modern-day Turkey. And in fact, if you follow them in the book of Revelation, it sort of forms an arc as you go through each one of them, Ephesus and so on, and you follow each one of them. And he was being told to write this letter to those seven churches. But what was the letter he was writing to them? God had given him the keys to the future of the world. He was telling them about what was to come. He was giving them the book of Revelation, the great unveiling, the apocalypse. One of the most exciting, the most dramatic books that was ever going to be written in church history. And he was writing it to those seven churches. But Jesus said in every one of the letters that precedes what was to come, he who has an ear, let him hear. Revelation chapter 2, he says this to the book, in the book of Revelation chapter 2, to the church of Ephesus. He says, you've done all these amazing things, but I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Verse 5, remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practice of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Well, history tells us if you go to that area of the world today, the church of Ephesus is not there. In fact, all of those churches basically ended. And that area now is largely Muslim, secular and Muslim. And God had warned them. He said, if you don't listen to what I've got to say to you, I'm going to come and remove your lampstand. They were amazing churches. They were doing incredible things. God actually had the Apostle John write them a letter. That's how important they were in his economy. But something had happened. They'd lost sight of the first love for God. See, the problem is that God, it's not that God isn't talking to us, eh? He's talking to us. God is speaking to us. God is always speaking to us by his Spirit. The problem is not that God isn't talking to us, but by and large, the Western church is not listening. You know, God said in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, that he has much to say to the people. But then he says this, but they have become dull of hearing. Have you become dull of hearing? Dull of hearing. Here is this magnificent letter, this extraordinary revelation that's been written to these seven churches. And God even says to them, listen up. I'm going to do something dramatic, and they fail to listen, and God removes them. We've seen that in our day as God is now pouring out his spirit in China and other places where really there was no Christianity at all 100 years ago. Why? Because the Western church has dropped the ball. You go through Europe, what's happening in Europe? Churches are closing. Mosques are being established because they have failed to listen to what the Spirit is saying. And I bring a word of warning this morning because I believe that God is looking at us here in New Zealand and he's saying, are you going to listen to what I have to say? Are you going to hear me? Well, here's the question then. How do we become as Christians dull of hearing? 
How do we become dull of hearing? Well, my wife can answer that one for you. Uh, dinner time in our household is usually around 6.30 p.m. each weeknight, as you will know if you speak to Joe. And each night my darling long-suffering wife can be heard calling out from the kitchen in a sweet voice, Dinner! No response. Then again in a slightly louder but sweet voice still, Dinner! And about five minutes later the tone changes. And it becomes somewhat more demanding. Hey, dinner's on the table, it's getting cold. And then the final exasperated, where the heck are you guys? <laughs> See, the problem is not that Joe isn't shouting loud enough. Believe me, that woman has lungs. <laughs> but And that the dinner isn't ready because it is. It's sitting on the table, it's getting cold. The table is set, everything's ready. The cuisine in our house is always excellent. I can attest to that. Mainly thanks to my wife and my darling daughter who are much better chefs than I, and I can tell you that. So in summary, the, the cuisine is, is world class. The meal is ready. The table is set. And the company is excellent because I'm there. <laughs> but the problem is that the guests are too distracted. Clearing their emails. Guilty. Watching the six o'clock news, yours truly again. Checking Facebook, that's got to be Brittany, my daughter. And playing PlayStation, and that's William to a T. We're all too distracted to get to the dinner table, but the meal is there, it's waiting for us, and we need to eat. Are you listening to me? You know, that's just how we are. And Jesus told parables about it. If you look in Matthew chapter 22, he gave the parable of the wedding banquet. And yes, it applies, of course, in the first sort of emphasis to the difference between the Jewish nation and then the church. The Jewish nation rejected Jesus. And then, of course, God says, go into the highways and the byways and bring the Gentiles into the church. But it also has application to us. See, every day God is inviting us to his table. Amen. Come, come and fellowship. This isn't a religion. This isn't something that we just do by rote, guys. This is me. He says in Revelation 3 and verse 20, I stand at the door and knock, so that if you open the door, I'll come in and I'll eat with you. I'll feast with you. I'll fellowship with you. I will commune with you. And you'll hear me. And I'll give you ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. You know, the beautiful thing about having family dinner, and I really hope that you do this, we do it in our home, is when you have family dinner, suddenly people open up about their day, don't they? And suddenly dialogue happens. You know, meals are very important, even through the Bible. Jesus feasted with his disciples. In fact, one of the most important meals he ever had was the communion we celebrate today, just before he went to Calvary. And he opened up to them about his plan for salvation. And as we meet with Jesus, as we go into that inner room with him, he opens up to us and we have ears to hear. Are you hearing me? It was the same for Jesus. He was never late to dinner. 
We read a prophecy in um, the book of Isaiah about how Jesus turned up on time every day, every day on time to be with his father. You know, we focus so much on Isaiah 53. We know that Isaiah is a messianic book. We know that it talks about Jesus as the Messiah, as the Savior of the world. But sometimes we miss some of the real gems in there. And I want us to turn and journey to Isaiah chapter 50, if you will, please. Isaiah chapter 50. Just three chapters before that magnificent chapter about his crucifixion. Now, of course, these chapters have relevance to Isaiah himself, but beyond that, they are mainly messianic. And this is what Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 4 says. The sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue. Isn't that Jesus? To know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, He wakens my ear to listen like one being taught. I love that. Isn't that beautiful? Can you imagine little Jesus? There he is as a young boy, you know, maybe eight or nine years of age, and in the morning, just like Samuel of old, he hears, Jesus, Jesus, time to wake up. It's Dad. Time to have our Bible study. That's how it was like. Every morning, he wakens me. He wakens my ear. He awakens my ear. Jesus woke, and he feasted, and he communed with his Father, and he became the Jesus of Nazareth that we read about. It said that he grew in grace and in favor with God and man. It says that by the age of 12, he had so much of the Word of God in him through communing with his Father and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, that he stayed back at the temple at the Passover, and he, he reasoned with the scribes and the Pharisees, and they said, how does this young boy know this stuff? Where does he get his wisdom from? Because his ear had been opened morning by morning. If you want power in this body of believers, if you want power In your life for God, you have to spend time having your ear opened morning by morning. Yeah. Jesus' life wasn't easy. If you want to turn over to Hebrews chapter 5, you'll read about that. Sometimes we like to think, oh yeah, so you had good, good Bible studies in the morning. Yeah, it was more than that. Yeah. Look at Hebrews 5, verse 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. What sort of relationship do you have with God? Do you have a relationship of reverent submission? You know, sometimes we come to God with a shopping list. Do you know we need to come to God and worship? When we come to God in that morning time with Him, or whenever it is, your quiet time just just between you and God, you come first to worship. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice. I'm not worthy to be saved, but you have saved me. Thank you, Lord. And as we worship Him, the Lord Jesus, I want to give you a secret. Listen. 
as you worship Jesus, the Holy Spirit says, oh, I want to be there. You're, you're with Jesus. I, I want to be there. You're worshiping Jesus. I'm there. You want to know the power of God? Start worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ in humility. It doesn't matter where you've been, what sin you've come out of. Look at David in Psalm 51. He said, if you have a contrite and a humble heart, there I am, God says. I don't care what you've done. David was a murderer and an adulterer, but God still forgave him, and God still restored him, and God still used him, and he will use you. Amen. If you have a humble heart, if you allow him to open your ear morning by morning, if you commune with him, hallelujah. This is what the church is missing. We've become so institutionalized. We've become so, I guess, attached to the the whole kind of program mentality. It's not about that. Jesus had to teach his disciples that. They were walking through the temple courts just before. In fact, Jesus would go to the cross not long before, and the disciples had their eyes off Jesus and their eyes on the temple. What a mistake. And they said to Jesus, Wow, look at these amazing buildings. You know, aren't they magnificent? These structures. And Jesus turned to them and said, I tell you the truth, not one stone will be left upon another. Why? Because you did not recognize the time of my coming to you. The Jewish nation had its eyes on the temple, which was supposed to be the place where God was. But when God came among them, they didn't even know who he was. Sometimes I think we have our eyes so much on the structures and the things that we do that we take our eyes off the Messiah who is walking right beside us. Well, you might be saying, you know, like Jesus, I would love to have an instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary, a word that brings life and peace and joy and wholeness. I would love to hear from God like Jesus did. I want to tell you, you can. And I want to tell you another secret. People think that Jesus did everything out of his own power because he was God and then missed the point of the Jordan experience when he was baptized. It says that the Holy Spirit came upon him and he went out with power. Do you realize that Jesus lived a life exactly how any other human being could do? Because he submitted himself to God and it was through the power of the Holy Spirit that he healed the sick, that he raised the dead, that he spoke the gospel, that he lived a sinless life. It was through the power of the Holy Spirit and you can do exactly the same. Amen. Do I hear a hallelujah? We want to somehow put Jesus in a box and say, oh, he was different. Yeah, well, he was different, but he was a man. He was a man who submitted to the Holy Spirit. Do you know what? There's a massive difference between knowing about God and knowing God. But there's also a massive difference between hearing about God and hearing from God. But there's also then another massive difference between hearing from God and listening to God. And then there's a massive difference between listening to God and obeying God. But lastly, and most importantly, there is a massive difference between obeying God and loving God. They asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? He said, the greatest commandment is to love 
the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. To love God. What does that mean? Now, Jesus said in John 14, verse 15, If you love me, you will obey my commandments. He didn't say, if you obey my commandments, you will love me. You know, so many Christians live their lives out of obligation. They feel guilty. They do things because they feel they have to, because other people are watching them. But Jesus didn't want that kind of relationship with us, did he? He wanted us to obey because we love him. When you get married, you enter into a covenant. You say all sorts of amazing things to each other, don't you? Come up here and you commit and you've promised the world. Then you have to walk out of those doors and you have to live it out. But imagine if your partner every day took a copy of that contract and waved it in your face. Now remember, you said you'd make you know, the bed every morning, you'd do the dishes. You know, That would be a real drag. Some people see the Bible like that. Like, a, like it's some sort of instruction booklet that we have to follow by rote in order to please God because he's angry with us. Nothing could be further from the truth, could it? The Bible is the greatest love letter that was ever written. And every time you read the Bible, if you say, Father, show me your heart. Show me Jesus. The Holy Spirit just shines on the pages and it just bounces back. And wow, suddenly you're feeding on the living manna, the living word of God. What I love about it is Jesus was the word of God come in the flesh. This is the word of God in written form that we might feed on him by the power of the Holy Spirit. Are you hearing me? Don't be fooled. Satan quoted the Bible. So you can read the words of God but not understand the word of God. The word of God is illuminated by the presence of the Spirit of God. It's relational. There's two different paradigms that we've got to understand. The Mosaic law in the Old Testament was written on tablets of stone. And the people were told they had to abide by the law, but they couldn't do it. Jesus came and he said, I'm going to write my laws on your heart. Isn't that beautiful? You can turn that up. Let's look at that in Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 10. This is so important, you guys, that we get this. This is the difference between law and grace. This is the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. This is the difference between the Mosaic law, which showed us what it meant to die, and Jesus, who showed us what it meant to live. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 10. 10. This is what he says. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds 
and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness, and I will remember their sins no more. Who wants to say hallelujah? That's awesome. And you know, as you spend time with him, suddenly what happens is the the law which is external starts to become part of your heart and your life. Are you hearing me? It comes out of you. I love hearing from our policewoman this morning. Good morning. I'm a lawyer, so I understand sort of the dimension she's coming from. We have statutes. If you disobey the criminal law, she will find you. All right? But you see, those people that are brought up in a house of being lawful and not lawless, very often will just do what the law requires. They've never read the Crimes Act or the Summary Offences Act. They don't need to because the law is inside of them. Are you hearing me? It comes out of them in everything they do. It's a relational thing. It's about respect for others and respect for God. And I want to tell you, if you feed on him, on the Lord Jesus, if you spend time with him, you will become like him. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. The remarkable thing is, Greg and I have been journeying together as we realize that Paul got to a point in his life where he could say, follow me as I follow Christ. Now that is discipleship. Why? Because he became a man who chased after the heart of God. Paul's conversion was a remarkable event. You know, Paul was a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. You know, the Sanhedrin, the, the governing body, there were, in every Jewish town there was a Sanhedrin, 70 ruling men who were made up of Sadducees and Pharisees and Essenes and Zealots and all these sort of high-ranking people, religious people. And in Jerusalem was the Grand Sanhedrin, which was the chief supreme court. They could even impeach the king. So they were, the, they were a big deal. And Paul, who was initially Saul from Tarsus in Sicilia, he came as a young boy to Jerusalem, and he learned under Gamaliel, one of the top Pharisees of the time, and he became an ardent and a zealot Pharisee. So much so that when this new found religion called Christianity suddenly sprung up and became a, a threat to Judaism, he put his hand up as a young 20-year-old or thereabouts and said to the, the ruling Pharisees of the time, I'll become your man. I'll go out there. I'll hunt these guys down and I will kill them. And so he, he, he got letters from the Sanhedrin to go to all the surrounding villages and towns and all the way up to places like Damascus and Syria in order to hunt down Christians to bring them back to Jerusalem so they could stand trial before the Sanhedrin, the Grand Sanhedrin, and then they could put them to death with the Romans' assistance. And he did that. He killed Christians. One day he's on his way with this letter to Damascus with his men, his soldiers with him from the, the high priests, and he has a vision. And Jesus comes to him. Jesus says to him, 
Saul, why are you persecuting me? Do you realize that when people persecute you, they're persecuting God? Isn't that awesome? Ooh. And Paul falls down on his face, Saul, and he falls down on his face and he says, Who are you, Lord? And God says, I am Jesus. I want to tell you something. There is no other name given among men by which we must be saved than the name of Jesus. He is the way. He is the truth and he is the life. He is God. And in that moment, Saul got a revelation. Jesus that we crucified is God. And it changed everything. And Saul the zealot took on his other name that he'd been given because he was of Roman citizenship and he had a name called Paul. And the word Paul means humble. And from that day on, he would only want to ever be known as Paul of Tarsus, not Saul the Pharisee. Goes into Damascus. God says to Ananias, lay hands on him. You know, Paul was blind from that moment for three days and he had to be led and that was the first time in Paul's life that he learnt what it meant to live by faith. Think about it. His whole world was turned upside down because he had met Jesus. Have you met Jesus? Is it just religion to you? You might be a person who has real fervour you might be a zealot, like Paul was, like Judas was. See, G Judas came to Jesus with his agenda as a zealot, wanting to overthrow the Romans. And that's why he missed it, because he didn't have ears to hear. Well, fortunately, Paul had the ears to hear. And, you know, at that moment, it so rocked his world. It says that if you look in Galatians that Paul had to go into Arabia and he spent a whole lot of time, but we don't know exactly how long, but he spent a lot of time in Arabia and he reread the Torah to understand who Jesus was. And then he came back and he became the greatest apostle the world has ever seen. And we sit here in this room today because Paul said, I follow Jesus, I serve Jesus. Not out of obligation, but out of devotion. I want to finish asking this question. How do we move from having the law written on tablets of stone, sitting on a shelf in our room, to written on the tablets of our heart? I want to challenge you. The Bible says that out of the fullness of the heart, the mouth speaks. When you walk out of this place and you go into your week, what bubbles over from you? Are you the sort of person that dirty words come out of your mouth? That you find the company of people who like smutty jokes appealing? Do you speak harshly to others? Are you judgmental? Are you honest? Are you kind? You see, what is inside of you bubbles up 
out of you. Amen. Jesus said to the woman at the well, if you drink of me, rivers of living water will flow out. Rivers of living. Who wants to have living water flowing out of their life? If you drink of me, if you drink of me. It's a continuous, if you drink, if you drink, if you drink of me, rivers will flow. I pray that every one of us will have life-giving rivers flowing from our lives into the desert of this land. If you've got a swearing problem, you haven't got a problem with your mouth. You've got a problem with your heart. Jesus said that. He talked about the Pharisees. They were whitewashed tombs with dead bones inside. Do you have dead bones inside? Or do you have the living water? So how? I ask again. How do we move from having the law external to us to becoming part of us? And I want to say this. As a young boy, as I lay in my bed one night, I was only six and a half years old. My father, every night, would go to the piano and he would play hymns and he would worship God. And I remember as I lay on my bed one night, as I listened to the words, as I hummed and sang along as much as I could understand at six and a half, these hymns, the presence of God, Almighty God, came into my room. And I can just say that it was the most extraordinary experience I'd ever had in my life up to that stage and one of the most extraordinary experiences I've ever had in my life. And I knew in that moment that God loved me that God had forgiven me. And I got up out of my bed and I knelt beside the bed and I asked God to come into my life and to forgive me. And I understood for that moment the cross, that Jesus had died for me. And I was changed. I remember after that moment, I told my parents the next day, my auntie brought me a Bible, which I still have today, where I wrote my name in it and signed it, that that was the day I let Jesus into my life. And I was changed, and I started to hear him as a little boy. And I started to have conversations with him every day. And it became a living and dynamic relationship with the God of the universe. But every one of us, myself included, needs to come back whenever we feel that our lives have fallen back into obligation. This is the secret. We come back to the cross, and there we see Jesus for me, and we worship. Thank you, Lord. You love me. I don't deserve to be loved, but you love me. It's your kindness that leads me to repentance. finish with this. You know, there's some very paradoxical things that are in the Bible. See, God's economy is not our economy, is it? You know, the world says that he who dies with the most toys wins. That's not, that's not what God says. 
and, and the Bible is full of paradoxes. J.K. Chesterton, which is, he was a great famous Christian author, he defined biblical paradox as truth standing on her head to attract attention. And Jesus did this all the time. You know, Jesus said, if you hold on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give it up for me, you'll find it, Matthew 16, 25. Or how about Galatians 2, 20? He said, Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. There are many paradoxes in Scripture which God, in which God's truth is presented to us. The Bible tells us that we see unseen things through faith. Amen? We conquer by yielding. We find rest under a yoke. We reign by serving. We are made great by becoming small. We are exalted when we are humble. We become wise by being fools for Christ. We are made free by becoming slaves. We gain strength when we are weak. We triumph through defeat. We find victory by glorifying in our infirmities. And we live by dying. That's God's economy. Amen. Who can give a big round of applause for that? That is so different from anything else that you will find in this world. But Jesus said it works, and you can rely on that. And Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. And lastly, I'll say this. You know, when Paul went and he preached to the Corinthians, he was a brilliant mind. I don't know what his IQ was, but he was a brilliant mind. I mean, you just need to read the epistles and you see that. This guy was seriously bright. And he could have convinced almost anyone to become a Christian, I think. He had it down pat. But he says in Galatians, When I came to you, I did not come to you with eloquence. I came to you in humility and trembling, so that your faith would not rest on man's wisdom, but on the power of the Holy Spirit. And I say the same thing to you today. Let the power of the Holy Spirit transform your life. Come back to the cross. Spend time with him out of devotion. And rivers of living water will change your world. Amen.